Worship leaders having to buy a $500 interface, then about $1,000 worth of direct boxes yep. just to get their tracks out of their computer into the sound system. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's and crazy. That's what we love about track rig. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Loop Community Podcast, where we're passionate about providing you with quality and affordable resources to help your band sound great, but most of all, to help you sound like you. My name is Matt McCoy, and I'm the founder of Loop Community, and I'm here with my co-host, Derek. How's it going, Derek? It's good. Hey, we're coming off the holiday yeah. weekend, Thanksgiving, and you know, hanging out with parents who I'm sure brought their iPads, their iPhones, <laughs> that none of the passwords are syncing correctly. And they're like, Derek, please help me figure out why my photos aren't syncing or why my email's not coming in. Did you have any of those experiences? Uh, yeah, I helped my mother-in-law set up a Chromecast. We got it wow. for her because uh, she wanted to be able to watch Netflix on her TV and not just her computer. And yep. just the concept of something on your phone going to your TV through the back of the TV. But it can be really confusing. Something that seems just easy to me can just take a lot of time yeah. to explain. Entertainment systems can be really complicated. Yeah, I think passwords can really cause a mess. Like my mom, I spent like a whole day this Thanksgiving weekend just helping my mom get all of her devices back in sync. Hmm. Because what happens is that she doesn't remember her password. So oh, she no. goes to her iPhone, you know, iCloud or something asks her for a password. She can't remember it. So she clicks forgot password and resets it. Okay. Well, then she goes to her iPad a couple of days later and it doesn't know the password. Oh, so no. then, and she forgets what she had changed it to. So then she changes it there, which then breaks it again on her phone. Mm -hmm. And it's just this like cycle of having to change passwords and none of her devices being in sync. I feel like I have so many stories of helping my parents and I'm sure people listening to this podcast know that pain yeah. of trying to support over the phone. You know, like <laughs> I remember one time my dad and this was back when Blackberry phones were really big. Yeah. And he was like, Matt, like, how do I get my Blueberry connected <laughs> to my TV? And I'm like, well, first of all, there's two things wrong with that question. <laughs> one, it's a Blackberry, not a Blueberry. And two, why do you want your BlackBerry up on your TV? Which, you know, now, of course, there's different reasons you want your phone on your right. TV. But then it was like, like 10 years ago. Why? What are you going to put up there? Like your 140 characters text. Or my mom was like trying to eject the disc out of her computer and hitting. I was like, well, what button are you pressing to eject it? <laughs> She's like, I'm pressing the little silver circle button in the top right corner. Oh, no. I'm like, that's the power button. Yeah. <laughs> like, she was like, my screen keeps going black and it's not ejecting the disc. I'm like, oh, there's all sorts of woes, right? Yes. But let's face it. Technology is complicated. Yes. And no matter if you are really good with technology or you're just getting started, there's a lot that can go wrong and you have to be able to figure out how to make it work. And I think the same goes for running tracks for and sure. worship. You know, it can be really scary and intimidating. I think that's one of the number one things we hear about people who aren't running tracks. The reason they're not it's because it, they're just afraid of change. And it might be the same reason why 
you know, our parents are afraid of going to streaming TV yeah. and like a Chromecast from like subscribing to Comcast because it's just, you know, it's all new yeah. and it's scary. They want to be able to just turn on the TV and have it work. But it doesn't mean that's actually the best way to keep moving forward. Yeah. So, you know, at Loop Community, we're passionate about creating products that make running tracks easier, making complicated things simpler. And using Ableton Live and running tracks with that and interfaces and controllers is really messy sometimes. Yeah. Which is why we developed Prime, you know, the app for iPhone, iPad to run tracks, you know, made it so easy that like a five-year-old could run tracks. Right. And then Looptimus foot controller, you know, we needed to make it easy way for people to control their tracks with their feet. And now this next new product, which is what this today's podcast is about, is track rig which the problem we were trying to solve is that we have people all the time email us saying, how do I get my audio out of my iPad, out of my computer, into the sound system? And how do I get the separate tracks into my sound system, like bass yes. and drums? And there's a lot of interfaces out there, and we were getting tons of emails from people saying, I'm using blank and blank interface, and I can't figure out how to configure the audio software, and it was a mess. Yeah. And so we're like, you know, we should just make our own, and let's make it so it's plug and play, easy to use, no configuration software. And then TrackRig was born. So today's interview is with Andrew Pika, and we co-developed TrackRig together. And I'm really excited to share this interview with all of you about how TrackRig was developed. Andrew, thanks for joining the Loop Community Podcast. Of course. It's good to have you here, man. You're here in our Loop Community office in downtown Chicago. Yeah. And we just had a big day today. <laughs> a very, very big day. A lot of relief and a lot of a lot of motions going on. <laughs> I know. It was a long road. So we announced TrackRig, which is our new audio interface. That's right. For running all your multitracks out of your computer into your sound system. And it's been a long road. We started working on this back when, in July? Yeah, it's been at least, I feel like it's been a year. <laughs> About a year. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting because it's been a need for such a long time. And turns out it's not super easy to, yeah, right. <laughs> to create an right. interface out of nothing. So. Right. <laughs> and it was kind of like the missing puzzle piece yeah. of Loop Community because we you know, created the app. So we have an app for running tracks. Mm -hmm. We have a foot controller for controlling your tracks. And then now we have a piece of hardware to actually get the audio out of your device into the sound system, which is a major, I feel like that's a common question. And it's a pretty <laughs> important Pretty integral. Piece. It's probably the, it's yeah. kind of the brain of the entire thing. Right. Um, next to the soundboard. Every like church has a soundboard already. And for the most part, there's at least an iPad or an iPhone, but the, the track rig or the interface is always the missing component. It's the least known about because right. soundboards have been around forever and they've had computers and everything, but yeah. the actual interface itself. Right. Well, so you're a drummer, like you're a touring drummer. You've been a Loop Community producer for years, Yeah. but you are a touring drummer. Tell us a little bit about that and then why track rig is a good idea. Yeah. So I'm fortunate enough to have been a full-time touring drummer since I graduated college. So all the way back to 2011. I started playing with a worship band right out of college, and I've played with several artists since then. And in every single situation, I've 
used backing tracks in some capacity. And starting with like the worship band, we were just a four-piece band, and we would go around leading worship at conferences, camps, and Hillsong's putting out these massive, beautiful songs, but they were a little tricky for a little four-piece band to recreate. And we didn't have a synth player. It was just, you know, standard acoustic guitar, electric, bass, and drums. And so in order for us to convey kind of the epicness of some of those songs, it was pretty obvious that we needed some help. So that's when I started getting my feet wet with backing tracks. So it started with me just creating my own backing tracks to fill in our sound. And that's when I found out about Loop Community. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, some other guy, some other worship leader could definitely benefit from my tracks as well, I'm sure. Because I'm creating these anyway, and now I can just upload them. I can even make a little right. money. So right. like, win-win all the way around. Yeah, right. So when you're touring, I remember actually seeing you guys play. <laughs> at Moody. At Moody, yeah. That's actually <laughs> yeah, the first time I think we ever met in person. Yeah. We met at Intelligentsia for coffee. And uh, I actually came and saw your guys' show, and you guys had, like, I remember the lights program. Yeah, yeah. What were you guys using <laughs> at that time for audio outs? Oh, my gosh. That rig was so janky. It was all pieced together from things. I had our bass player had a spare rack lying around, and then I had a, <laughs> it was a DigiDesign Mbox 2 Pro. Wow. DigiDesign doesn't exist anymore. It's now Avid. So it'd be the whatever Avid has now, but I went to a music school in Boston and they gave that to you when you enrolled. And so I had that interface, which had, I think it had six outputs. Anyway, uh, I took that, it's not rack mountable, so I Velcroed it into the rack and then I was using that and then I had three crummy DIs that I Velcroed next to it that yeah. borrowed from our, borrowed quote unquote, from our bass player. And I just ran short little jumper cables to the DIs and then ran those DIs into whatever board we were using at the time. And that I used that for years. So, right. A lot of worship leaders listening to this right now are like, yep, that's yeah. what my board looks like. Because <laughs> that's like the classic. The it's classic. Whatever I remember, you can find. Yeah, I remember my first YouTube video I ever did on my loop rig is what I called it. My loop rig setup yep. was back in 2009 when I was on staff at Willow. Huh. And I remember setting up in the auditorium at Willow and I thought, huh, I've never actually done a YouTube video on my like loop rig. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing a tour and it's probably still up there if you search the Matt McCoy loop rig. And I just had, my first loop rig was just like a, you know, three rack unit, like SKB case mm -hmm. with a power conditioner, a Motu 828 interface, a really old one. Yeah. It was a rack mount one that was yeah. like super old, like their first ever 828 Mark One or something. Yep. And then I had, actually at that time, I didn't even have Radio Pro DIs. Mm -hmm. I had like a Behringer four-channel DI. <laughs> Later, I upgraded to a Radio Pro D8, which has yeah. like eight DIs on it, but it was like $1,000. It's a very nice DI box. <laughs> <laughs> it's very expensive. So my rig, yeah. yeah, I'm like, you know, I have a $500 interface. Yep. I mean, at that time, it was actually maybe more than that. Let's call it $500, though. Yeah. Worship leaders having to buy a $500 interface. Then... About $1,000 worth of direct boxes yep. just to get their tracks out of their computer into the sound system. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's and crazy. That's what we love about TrackRig. Yeah. So explain just for people listening to this, like, what TrackRig actually is then. Well, we kind of we just simplified the entire process. To fast forward to where I'm at. So today, I, I'm the full-time drummer for Jordan Feliz. And we use tracks. It's pretty much, it's kind of funny. It's pretty much the exact same setup in that... It, we're a five-piece band, and 
Jordan's songs, when he records them, are epic. And they have, I mean, production nowadays is just, there's everything on these tracks. There's so many layers. And how many outs do you guys use? So we use eight. Okay. Eight outputs. Yeah. And so I use that Andy Needham band. That was the band I was playing in. We used that old one for about four years. And then I moved to Nashville. I played with a couple different artists. I would still use that rig, just bring it out here and there. But when I joined Jordan's crew, this is about two years ago, it was time to get something a little more real deal, a little more professional. And so there's a company down in Nashville called OCD Labs. It's a really great company. And what they do is they build, they actually build track rigs for artists. Interesting. We should send them a track rig. Yes. Maybe they should start using our, our device. Because they aren't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, what did they put in it? Yeah, so they they kind of have a standard one that they build, and that's what we got. And they, they have this like custom little rack unit thing, and they actually have you buy, you pay for it, a Motu Ultralight, which has eight outputs on it, the model that they had. And <laughs> what they do is they put it in their rack case, their custom rack case, and then they seal off, they actually seal off both sides of it. So the whole front of the unit is, you can't see it. The it's interface. All, yeah, it's all inside the rack unit. And then they take short little jumper wires that they custom make, and they go from the quarter inch outputs of that, and they just wire them to a back plate that has XLR connectors on it. So that way, you can jump straight from your interface into a stage snake using XLR cables. So and quarter inch to XLR. That's what is they. Is the snake you're using? No, actually, on this unit inside the little rack unit, yeah. they create these little jumper cables from the quarter inch of the Motu to a back panel Got in it. which they put oh, okay. uh, XLR connectors. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they just like they created a little adapter for us, basically. And is that line level? And that would be line level. Okay. So Motu, all these interfaces are all line level because it's a consumer. Your computer outputs line level signal, which is consumer electronics, which is very strong signal. It's very clean. It can travel long distances without degrading, all kinds of stuff. So they did that. I remember seeing the thing and just finding it kind of hilarious. I mean, I think the interface itself costs like $800 yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And we're literally just using the outputs of it. Like we bought this thing and we just put it in a box and then put these little jumper cables and sent and sent it out. Right. And so that was my first like kind of like, huh, moment. Why are we buying an 800 interface that we're only using half of it? Yeah. Like yeah. We're not using the inputs. We're also probably not using any of the other crazy stuff on it. And the, the signal is plenty strong. Like it's line level, so it's very strong. So fast forward a year later, we end up getting a new interface because we ended up having trouble with that one, the Motu. I won't go into details on that, but uh, we end up getting a new focus right. And instead of going to OCD uh, labs and having them put in a rack case, we're like, well, we can just put this in a standard rack unit. And then we just bought a loom that was quarter inch that goes from the line outs on the focus right. And uh, the loom was quarter inch on one end, XLR on the other. And we just ran it from that straight into our snake on the ground. And we bypassed the back plate completely. No DIs. No DIs. Because most guys are actually running their tracks out of an interface into a DI. Yeah. So explain what's happening there. (laughs) This is the funny thing. I I think a lot of it honestly just has to be, that's just the way things have been done for so long. Is that, well, if you have a quarter inch and you need to get into a snake, the best way to do that is to run through a DI because a DI will transfer a quarter inch 
cable yeah. into an XLR cable. So it's a very expensive adapter. <laughs> More or less. The DI is actually doing something to the signal. Okay. So what it is, is taking the line level signal from your interface, it's transforming it down to mic level, then you're putting it into the snake. From your DI, you run it into your snake, which is going to the soundboard. And then the soundboard is taking a preamp and boosting that mic level signal back, back up. up to the line level signal. Yeah. So it's basically this big old loop that's going around. Do you know how much it's dropping from line level to mic level? Um, line level is one volt, and mic level, I believe, is 0.1 volt. Okay. So it's like... Wow, so when it gets back to the board, the preamp actually boosts it back up yes. to where it should be. That's what preamps do. Wow. Because preamps were designed, mic level is designed for microphones, which output a very low voltage. But computers and electronics easily produce a much higher voltage. So preamps were developed for microphones, and now we're kind of retrofitting them just to basically be a very expensive adapter. Wow. So when in reality, if you just run line level from your interface into a soundboard, making sure that you're going into the line level inputs, you lose nothing. It actually probably sounds better, <laughs> you know, than going through this whole system. Just like going direct. Yeah. And what I'm finding and what seems to be the trend in soundboards nowadays is that uh, with them all becoming digital, I don't know all of the technology, so I don't want to like say something and <laughs> get a whole bunch of feedback. But with digital technology, voltage is done completely different at the input than it has been done before. So now these soundboards are being built capable of accepting whatever you put into it, mic level, line level, whatever. They know what to do with it. They know how to gain stage it. They know how to yeah. receive it. Interesting. So on the road, we've bypassed, for the past two years, I haven't used a single DI with Jordan Feliz in our track rig. And we've been going straight into the stage snakes. And Do you seem to see that also with the other bands that you guys are traveling with? Are they going direct? Like line level direct in? or No, and that's why... I'm always kind of questioning why. Because I see it. I see it all the time. And then I see our rig and how great it works and how streamlined it is. And then I see these other rigs come around. These guys are coming out with an interface and then they're carrying like eight DI boxes with them. <laughs> and then they're running eight quarter-inch cables into these DIs. And then they need to bring eight XLR cables to go from those DIs into the stage snake. Right. And it just seems like... It's expensive. Expensive and a hassle. The times I haven't are other artists that have used OCD, and they have the same rig that we used to have. Because OCD, which by the way, I love their name, because yeah. I do know that their cases are beautiful, right? Oh, they are. Like it's the wires are perfectly trimmed yes. along the yes. side of the case. And, and I want to be clear that I'm not like trashing their yeah. product at all. It was no, a great product. And that's exactly why we just wanted to streamline it. Totally. So they do line level. Yeah. OCD. Yeah. yeah. So what they're doing is line level out of there. Wow. Because all these soundboards are built to receive line level. So we need to get them a track rig to start putting that in their exactly. cases. Exactly. We need to talk to them about getting them a track rig, get yeah. them going on that. So track rig now bypasses what? You don't need a DI because it's line level. It's very strong signal. And I think a lot of artists just use these DIs just because more or less they're just told to do it. Like that's the way you do it, you know? Right. They see pictures of other people's rigs yeah. and there's an interface and a radial Pro D8. Yeah, and to be completely honest, not all soundboards, you know, have line level inputs that are XLR. So there is the factor that, yes, you might need to get an adapter to get an XLR cable into a line level right. jack on the soundboard. 
But that is a much cheaper solution than buying eight DI boxes, right? Or you know the radial Pro Eight, which is right. Because you know, a DI is like maybe a hundred bucks a DI, where yeah. an adapter is uh, five five dollars or something. <laughs> so, yeah. or you just get yourself a nice loom, which can cost you fifty bucks or something like that. Huh? Yeah. So that's that's kind of the thought process. I do wonder about that, and I'm again, I see the trend of these digital boards, where even that chance of using an adapter doesn't seem to be even a factor again like we've been going to all these festivals all different churches and everything and i have yet to have someone say like where are your di boxes because i'm not getting enough signal back here yep. you know at the soundboard or whatever yep well and so now we have it track rig has eight channels on it eight xlr and then on the back it has four usb ports yeah so you can plug in your controllers charge your phone put a little usb fan back there i'm sure when you're drumming yeah <laughs> you know, keep it cool. Maybe a little yeah. USB coffee maker. Oh, yeah. If they have those, is that I don't a thing? Know. <laughs> I'm sure it is now. But, yeah, I mean, what would you be plugging into it? Well, it's just, one, it's a huge convenience factor because, I mean, most computers now have two USB slots or whatever, and they're usually on opposite sides. So, one, just to have all USB slots right in front of you is a big convenience. I think the most common thing would be to hook up, and I don't mean this as a pitch at all, but would be to hook up a controller, like a foot pedal. Yeah, right. I think on the road, what I see most used, um, and we're a little behind on this with Jordan Feliz, but what you see most used are just little MIDI keyboards yeah. that are used to trigger songs. Right. So they label the keys for different songs, and those are always USB. Those little nano keys. Little yep. nano keys. And those are awesome. I see them all over the place. Yeah. Those are USB. Yeah. And so that takes up one jack. You can yep. use that. But if you don't have a USB hub or a dongle or of some sort, you're already out of USB. So right. you kind of are out of options. And just adding four ports, it gives you so much more flexibility. So you can charge your phone now. You can hard drive. run a hard drive to bring tracks, bring your backup tracks, bring, you know, whatever. Uh, you can uh, run a couple different MIDI devices. So like yep. using a Looptimus foot pedal yep. to trigger tracks while I think this is going to be a huge asset to keyboard players. I see this all the time mm -hmm. who actually want to run a keyboard, like play their weighted, like their nice MIDI keyboard yeah. and run sounds in Ableton or in Mainstage or whatever. And to also have like yeah. a foot controller with that. It just gives you so much more flexibility. Yeah. You could even have Mainstage going out the four outputs and then Ableton going out the other four. Yeah. Yeah. Designing hardware is not for the faint at heart, that's for sure. We've we've learned a lot. I remember for sure one conversation I remember very very clearly was I was walking around a bookstore at a train station in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I were talking for probably an hour. Yeah. My wife is like yeah. texting me while that phone call is happening saying, "Where are you?" Yes, I do remember. And I didn't that. see any of the text. I'm like, "We got to go." But I mean, designing hardware is not for the faint of heart. It's really hard because you know, there's always people who are like being like, well, why didn't you add on a headphone jack? Or why didn't you add on inputs? Yeah. Or why didn't you add on ADAT or whatever? And it's like, well, the trick is that the whole point of why we developed this is to keep it simple. Yeah. I will say 95% of people <laughs> are only using probably 5% of what these devices actually can do. Yep. Like, you know, like a Motu interface. Most people are only using 5% of what it actually can do. Yeah. So then that other 95%, you're paying for it. It's yep. a very expensive device. And two, it's also just more stuff to, you know, kind of weed through as you're trying to use it. Yeah. So with TrackRig, what we're trying to do and what we, we've worked hard on this year is yeah. like, let's just keep it simple. 
let's give worship leaders, musicians, just what they need. USB ports, eight outs, USB in, done. Call it a day, right? And people are going to do stuff with it that we never even thought of. Exactly. And that might spur us on to do new things with it. And yeah. That's the fun of it. That is I feel fun. like, because when I was first describing track rig to people, I would say the recording interface has been around forever. Well, for a while. And at a certain point, it became, as home studios became really popular, companies started making recording interfaces for home recording. But the whole point is that they're recording interfaces. They were always designed with recording in mind first. Over time, as touring musicians were starting to be like, well, we'd also like to play our tracks back live. That was a ladder development. And so they took these recording interfaces and retrofitted them for the outputs. So you're using something that wasn't designed specifically for for playback. Mm. And they work great, most of them. Yeah, totally. But there has yet to be an interface with that fully in mind. Like, we are doing this just for live musicians. Yes, yeah, right. So the question of inputs is irrelevant yeah. because that's not... It's not for recording. Yeah. It's not for inputs. And um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's taken this long for it to come out or to be kind of put into action is because, again, these interfaces have been around forever, but, yeah. like, never specifically for this purpose. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what the new generation of these live output devices looks like right. going forward. I think I think the future looks bright because live music is more popular than ever. Shows are getting bigger and bigger. Taylor Swift, Justin Timberlake, massive arena. Like people want to see live music and are going out there for experiences and they want it to sound huge. You oh, know? Yeah. And I think tracks are just a reality. Oh yeah, and, uh, it's just a, it's a rocket that's just now taking off. Yeah, even though we've been using them for like over ten years. Yeah, but it really yeah. is a rocket that's still just like leaving the launch pad. Yeah, and we just want to make it as user friendly as possible. I should tell this story really quick, just about when I was touring with Jordan. We played a filler date at this tiny church in North Carolina, and the worship leader, who was also the drummer, which I thought was pretty cool, at the church came up to me. And he had seen us like sound checking and he sees our rig, our, our track rig. And he asked me, he's like, hey, I know that our band needs to get started on tracks because we want to play these songs. And I know that we're not like able to recreate them that well. I want to start getting us into that. But I don't know where to start at all. And he's like, I saw that you're using Ableton. I've seen that before. You have a computer. But like, what are you using for an interface? What are you doing? And uh, so I actually pointed them to lootcommunity.com. I'm like, they got all the resources you could ever need about how to use this, like how to get set up. And he goes and he uses the resources and he starts looking around. He's like, yeah, they say I need to buy such and such interface. And I think it was the PreSonus Studio Lab, which is a very affordable yeah. interface for what it can do. I had that interface for a while. I loved it. Yeah. 1818 VSL or something. Yep. But he comes back to me and he starts asking me about the interface and he's like, what's with all this stuff on the front? Like, what are yeah. what are all these, like, inputs on it? And I learned very quickly that this guy has no idea what a right. interface is. And right. I forget that a lot, that, like, I know yeah. I've been using interfaces for so long, and this guy has no idea. Like, yeah. he's never used one at all. And so I started telling him, like, well, it's, it's a recording interface, so those are inputs, but don't worry about that. Don't worry about <laughs> that at all. And then in my head, I'm also going, like, oh, when you get a PreSonus, it has this software called Universal Control, which is like you can like route 
software. And I'm like, I'm going to have to like walk him through that. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, I'm like kind of dreading it because like <laughs> he's going to have my phone number and be texting me all yeah, the time. Right. Or the audio routing software for these interfaces is so confusing. Yeah. I mean, I get why they developed it and I get that it is a cool feature, but it's not super user friendly, yeah. you know? For the audio nerd, you know, it's kind of fun to be able to like do whatever you want to have that flexibility. But for the average user, you just need output one to be output one, output two to be two, yeah. and just and it's as simple as that. And that's where I was like, man, this guy needs something that he can't screw up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that like, right. There's nothing that can go wrong. And that's what's so cool about Tracker. You plug it in. There is no software. It's recognized by Ableton. Like the hardest thing to learn is you just got to learn in Ableton what drop down menu to press to select the output. Right. As we're closing out here, let's just give people a little sneak behind the curtain in that, <laughs> like, I don't know if you have any memories that really stand out to you of the whole process that maybe we're just like, oh my wow, gosh. this was a really tricky problem we had to solve or this was a funny moment. I think for me, yeah, I think of the naming process oh my was very tedious <laughs> because we went through, we probably had... 50 uh, to 100 names I feel like yeah then we whittled that down to like 50 names then 30 then 20 we had, we, we had all of our <laughs> friends you know on google forms voting on what everyone's got an opinion name. oh everyone, yeah like yeah. I know and then I started thinking man it's just better not asking anybody yeah. <laughs> because everybody's gonna say something different anyway but I do feel like in our last voting round yes we had five names do you even remember some of those names uh oh gosh line out was line one. out was one of them uh, was loop out one loop, of them? Loop out was one. Loop rig. Loop rig, yes. It's track rig. Something X8. Yeah. Loop X8, I think. Yeah, yeah. Kind of highlighting the XLR yeah. outputs, eight of them. Output was one. Output was one of them. Yeah. But in our last voting round, we did get a very strong consensus. Yeah. Um, where everybody was leaning towards track rig. Because that's what it is. At the end of the day, that's what this device yeah, is. Yeah, it's a track rig. It's a track rig. I remember that being a very tedious yeah. <laughs> process. I feel like we worked on that for at least a month. It's kind of funny how wow. the naming of the product. What a weight off of my shoulders. Just thinking like, I'm very glad that now it's named and that's done. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was a very Check hard that thing off. <laughs> to figure out. So any memories stand out to you on the process? Yeah. So we worked with an amazing company to develop this and they've really knocked it out of the park. Yeah. But I will not forget, and going forward also working with them, is that it's, it's one of the greatest strengths about track rig, but it also is a very difficult thing when you work with engineers, electronic engineers who are designing very specific like components. It's tricky to make sure that the user quality is let known to them. So I think that was like, I'll remember like having to actually sit down with them face to face and show them like in yeah. practice, this is what we want. Yep users to experience yeah and so from a technical standpoint they can be like audio in here equals this via these circuits and everything it's like well we just want to show up labeled named like correctly totally and like having that user experience, user experience. so to have the technology backing it oh yeah but you know but to have that easy to use experience. i remember them having to come down to the loop community office yes and me actually just practically showing them like and okay. they would all of a sudden their eyes would wind yeah like, oh okay as they I saw me hooking everything up and playing along with the song they're like oh, oh i get it so that's why you're being really picky about this exactly. you know and that's right. why you're asking about this no that's a good point that was that's definitely a big part of it yeah yeah wow andrew well i'm pumped about track rig i can't wait to build another device with you <laughs> um there's so much we could we could do and take this so oh uh, yeah 
So Track Rig is available at trackrig.com. It's wild. Glad you're here, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. See ya. Hey, community. Our featured producer this month is Caleb Fincher. Caleb is from Birmingham, Alabama, and has dozens of tracks on LC. You can also check out his signature producer patch bundle for Omnisphere on our site. Let's hear from him now. Hey guys, my name is Caleb Fincher. I'm a composer and producer based in Birmingham, Alabama. I've been serving in worship ministry for around five to ten years now, mainly as a keys player. And I also do some production work in the music licensing industry as well. I joined the community back in 2013, have been contributing to the site and running tracks ever since. I think one of the coolest things about being a producer for Loop Community is knowing that my tracks are able to reach and support so many different worship leaders and churches from all different sizes. I am LC. Thanks, Caleb. Now let's check out his track for Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery by Matt Boswell. This is Community Talk. So Derek, you've gotten a lot of hours on track, Rick. What do you think? What's your opinion? It is so easy to use. A year and a half ago, I'd never used an interface with tracks. And since then, I've used a lot of them. And routing the audio and the things that can go wrong with them... Just when I used track rig, I was like, why hasn't this existed before? And I'm not just saying that. It's just so easy. You plug it in. It immediately appears in Prime or Ableton. And then you're good. Right. Like you, you just go. pick which channels you want it to go to and you're good. Yep. It takes one minute to yep. do all of the setup you need to do. Yep. And it's just so nice to not have to worry about it and just be like, here you go and plug yeah. it right into your soundboard. It's so light too, it right? It is so light. It's surprising to me how light it is. The first time you handed it to me, I asked if it was empty. Yeah, right. Um, is there it's anything not empty. It? Yeah. it is in there. Because I know with electronics, sometimes people think that light things mean cheap. Mm-hmm. And actually... I don't know how this is, but I mean, the electronics that we put in there are like some of the most expensive parts we could find. Right. But it just happens to be really light. I think the way that it was designed, the material for the case, the enclosure is really light. It's nice because we've brought it to some conferences and just putting it in the backpack doesn't add a lot of weight. For traveling, it's amazing. Yeah. I remember when I first started running tracks, I bought an interface for like $800. Then I bought an eight channel DI for about a thousand dollars. So all right there, I'm in eighteen hundred dollars in. And if track rig would have been around when I first started, I could have saved tons of money. Yeah. You know, I just buy track rig for three ninety nine instead of an interface and DIs for eighteen hundred. Yeah, and that DI is heavy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's actually another point. Yeah. You the DI have. and the interface together is very, very heavy. Yeah. And for traveling musicians, I mean, ain't nobody got time for that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so anything stand out to you about the interview? Yeah. I mean, I know a lot about track rig, obviously, but even just listening to this, I never knew the exact reasoning that track rig was line level. Yeah. And Andrew just explaining in detail how right. it's brought down to mic level and then brought back up by the preamp in your soundboard. 
to yeah. line level, I was like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. It should just be line level then. Right. Um, so that was really cool to hear about. Definitely on the more techie side of things, but I loved it. And just hearing Andrew say like, this is how they've been running their tracks, even though they hadn't been using track rig, they'd been going right to the soundboard. Yeah. Um, one, it was just reassuring to hear that like somebody who created it's like been doing it for a long time. But two, just he definitely thinks it's the next step to moving forward. Yeah, right. There's a few bands, you know, for the past couple of months that are actually on the road using TrackRig, mm -hmm. TrackRig prototypes we sent out, and they've been loving it. They yeah. said no issues, and it's been cool to kind of see different videos and different reactions of these artists using it. That's awesome. So we're excited. I mean, TrackRig's supposed to be shipping out this month, Yeah. and there's going to be hundreds of them going out all over the world Yeah. to people who have pre-ordered them when we opened it up on June 1st, and uh, we're super grateful for all of their support and help in this. Yeah. Um, to help us even bring this to life. Because I think this is going to really help so many churches and musicians to just make running tracks easier, mm -hmm. which is what we're about. Yeah, we've got orders from people who are brand new to using tracks, and they're like, I'm going to start using tracks when my track rig gets here. Yeah. And then we have people who are like, I have all this equipment that I don't want to use anymore, and it's a pain. Yeah. And so I'm going to go to use track rig. So it's cool that everybody right. is excited. Do your Craigslist. Yeah. Make some extra cash with it. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah, so if you're interested at all, check out trackrig.com. You can order yours first come, first serve. And uh, yeah, we're excited about it. Make sure you check it out, trackrig.com. Thanks for listening to the Loop Community Podcast. What are you still doing here? Go subscribe. <laughs>